and made the news this week. Yeah, first folio. Uh, that's right, a copy of the first fo- of one of the first folios of Shakespeare's plays. And they were first published in 1623, and apparently there are about 230 in the world. Uh, they're each worth about two and a half million pounds, and a new one was discovered recently on the Isle of Butte. But I was struck this week on the radio by the passion of the professor who went to certify that this was a bona fide copy of, of the first folio. And, and she said on the radio, they often have their own history within them, how people have read them, what marks they've made on them, and what kinds of things people wanted to do with them. It's an archive of Shakespeare's reception and the individuals who've received it. That's what makes them absolutely unique. And as I thought about the sermon this week, I thought how fitting those words are for the act of communion too. It's an archive of Jesus' reception and the individuals who have received him. And the history of communion has the lives of the whole Christian family written into it. So this week we're continuing our sermon series on the Eucharist, the Holy Communion. In previous weeks, we've studied how Jesus' body was broken for us, how Jesus uh, is made known in the breaking of the bread, how he will come to us if we invite him in. And today we're considering the words of Jesus when he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And to understand why we should do this in remembrance of Jesus, we must first understand the significance of what Jesus did. And the first thing that struck me about our gospel reading was that Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. And at first sight, that looks peculiar because this, to Jesus, is rather like the last meal of a condemned man. So to desire it is rather like to wish away the last minutes of your life, which seems strange. So why was it so important to him? Why was he so eager? Well, firstly, this was his last opportunity to share some intimate time with his friends, with the twelve disciples with whom he had become so close. A solemn time to demonstrate to them, for a final time, the love that he had for each one of them. But that doesn't quite explain it, does it? So what else was happening? Well, secondly, this was the opportunity to speak to these disciples for the last time before Jesus went to his death about how they were going to continue to minister his word throughout the world. So he was going to give some special instructions at this last meal. And we read about those extensively in John's Gospel when we read about the teaching of the Passover, uh, teaching that he gave on that evening, teaching about belonging to the vine of God, teaching about the coming of the Holy Spirit and things like that. So that was important as well, but it still doesn't quite get there for me. But there was a third thing, an extraordinary thing. 
Jesus was also going to use this most private occasion with just these 12 men in a quiet room to institute a new sacrament for the whole of humankind to replace the existing religious order and to give each person in the world a personal and everlasting symbol of his love for them. That, I think, is why he was so eager. The meal Jesus was sharing with his disciples was the Passover meal, a meal taken annually and with huge symbolic importance to the Jewish faith. And at this meal, the Jews remembered God's deliverance of their ancestors from the hands of their oppressors, the Egyptians. And the ceremonial words spoken on that evening tell the story of God's deliverance and every food item represents something in that story. The unleavened bread is a symbol of the hastily prepared bread that the Israelites rushed to pack in their cases as they escaped from their homes. Unleavened because there was no time for the yeast to work through the dough. And the lamb shank bone that sits on the table represents the lamb that was sacrificed in order that its blood could be spread across the doorposts and the lintels of the houses so that God would pass over and spare the occupants from the death of their firstborn. And the cups of wine represented the blood of that sacrificial lamb. Jesus was surely most eager to share this meal because he was about to transform this ancient memorial ritual that symbolises the historic animal sacrifices and the salvation of a particular generation of Israelites into a sacrifice, a symbol of the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make and the salvation he was about to offer to all people for all eternity. The bread was no longer a symbol of the basic food prepared to sustain the Israelites in their first days of their journey to freedom, but the symbol of God's spiritual food that would sustain all future generations in their journey of faith through the sacrifice of Jesus. The wine was no longer a symbol of the blood of lambs sacrificed to spare those families from the wrath of God, but a symbol of Jesus' blood, the ultimate sacrifice that would reconcile his disciples and all his followers with God's love and salvation for the rest of time. Jesus was transforming the old covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants and establishing a new covenant between God and all the people of the world. Jesus would go on to die for all humanity within the next 24 hours. And this memorial would not be celebrated once a year like Passover, but as often as Jesus' followers ate bread and drank wine in remembrance of him. Ironically, this was the fulfilment of all the hopes of the Jews. In Jesus, the Messiah, a new order was being created, but most would not embrace it. And to this day, in celebrating Passover, the Jews will set a place of honour at the Passover table for Elijah in the hope that he will come on this most solemn evening and announce the joyful news that the Messiah has come at last.
And Jesus, in that brief moment, founded a new religion. This is why Jesus eagerly desired to eat the Passover with his disciples before his suffering. And when you reflect on it, it is truly astonishing, I think, that we can all trace our faith back to that moment and the institution of that memorial act between Jesus and his 12 disciples. And that that intimate gesture of God's ultimate and perfect love to a group of 12 friends became a global phenomenon celebrated millions of times every day in every country on earth and that has been preserved for 2,000 years transcending all the fickle fashions of men. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was essential to Jesus that those disciples did this in remembrance of him and they did the memorial offering found favour quickly and within 20 years or so of Jesus' death it was being celebrated regularly and internationally. Paul writes the first known account of the Lord's Supper that has been passed down to him in his first letter to the Corinthians written in about 55 AD. But when you read that passage it had a rocky start. The Corinthians for example had to be taught how to celebrate it correctly by Paul. They had to learn not to be selfish, not to lord it over others who had less than they did, and to acknowledge the symbolism of the meal, and not to be gluttonous. And they did learn, and it has been celebrated with virtually the same words in the same way ever since. The communion we take part in today is therefore our shared history and heritage, and through it, we and all beside us and all before us are woven into the tapestry of the Christian faith throughout the ages. We're woven in again and again each time we celebrate communion alongside every other member of the Christian family. The act of communion truly is an archive of Jesus' reception and of the individuals who have received him. So little wonder then that Jesus was eager to share that Passover meal. And no wonder he earnestly urged his disciples and us in turn to do this in remembrance of him. So how could we ever forget the significance, the relevance, the sacrifice that followed on the cross and the love of God and our own salvation? Well, as we get older, we might become a bit absent-minded and think, as I occasionally do, what was it I came in here for? Or, uh, what's the word for that thing? And, uh, where did I put it? But seriously, there may be several reasons why we might fail to remember. Firstly, we might overlook communion in the sense that we might be somewhat disinterested in it. We might forget quite what it represents and feeling relaxed, healthy or comfortably off, we might consider that we have no real need for it. We might consider that communion is a bit of an irrelevance in our lives. 
reflecting the fact maybe that we've pushed Jesus to the margin and we use him for our purposes instead of the other way around. And secondly, taking communion might just be too repetitive. We might go on to cruise control, fail any longer to identify with the significance of it, and simply go through the motions without really, really remembering. And I was alerted to that earlier in this sermon series in one of our house group meetings where we reflected on communion and going to the altar. And uh, I thought, you know, I never think about Jesus' broken body on the altar which the bread and the wine symbolises. I seldom think about that when I go to receive communion. I don't know about you and whether you have that image in mind. Thirdly, we might think that compared to scripture, prayer and songs, communion is not so important. But communion is an incredible, intimate interaction with God, so highly personal Both offering ourselves to Jesus and a physical symbol of receiving Jesus into our very bodies and souls. It's symbolic of the nutrients of the vine of God into which we're grafted. Feeding the very cells of our bodies as we grow more like him. If we overlook that, we could be dispassionate, impersonal, a bit legalistic in our faith maybe. Fourthly, we might fail to remember because we don't embrace embrace the idea of a community of faith. So we're not linked to the body and fail to benefit from the roots of faith and the history into which we could be woven. And there are sects that do that, aren't there? That become detached and move into uh, into different and heretical directions. And there are some people who go about their lives claiming to be Christians but not attached to a Christian family, not part of the Christian communion, not offering themselves to God and receiving from God. And for those outside the church, there's a fifth reason why they might not celebrate communion in remembrance of Jesus, and that is one of ignorance. Many today will never have heard of communion And many will never know the significance and symbolism of the bread and the wine. That's the very thing that Jesus didn't want to happen. Jesus told his disciples to go and, sorry, Jesus told his disciples, yes, to go and make disciples of all nations. So we fail to remember when there are others who are ignorant of God's gift in the sacrament of communion. So where and when should we celebrate communion in remembrance of Jesus? Well, Paul, in his account in 1 Corinthians 24, tells us that Jesus instructed his disciples when offering the cup of wine to do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you drink it. So always and at every opportunity we should do this in remembrance of him. To receive communion is an incredible privilege. And it wasn't perhaps until I was invited to be a lay assistant at communion and had the opportunity to offer others the chalice of wine that I truly realised what a privilege it was to receive. 
It is sincerely humbling to offer another person the wine, the symbol of Christ's sacrifice, and to say to them, the blood of Christ shed for you. When you stand there and you know, I know all my imperfections. I know all the sin that is in me. Who am I to offer Christ's blood to another person? And sixthly, therefore, we may fail to remember Christ's sacrifice in the rite of communion because we feel unworthy to receive it and find it hard to accept his love. But this is the same Jesus who chose ordinary fishermen to be his disciples and told the parable of the banquet of heaven where all are welcome and no one is unworthy. So as humbling as it is, Jesus commands us to do this in remembrance of him and we are all worthy of that. So in conclusion then, in our busy lives, in our busy church, it's possible to not, only, to, not, to overlook not only the significance of the act of communion itself, but also what it represents, what Jesus has done for us and what he offers us. Our attitude to communion might tell us something about our relationship with God. We might be disinterested in it. We might simply go through the motions. We might think that it's not so important in our lives. We might not embrace the idea of the community of faith. We might feel unworthy, or we might not care about the ignorance of others around us. But wherever we are in our faith this morning, let us renew our understanding of the symbolism of communion and our commitment to it. And most of all, communion is a celebration of the love and care that Jesus personally has for each one of us. Let us not be a people that forgets. Let us celebrate with bread and wine whenever we eat and drink them. And let's celebrate every minute of every day of our lives. Amen.